So being the witness, the knower, and recognize that this, uh, this uh, state of being that we find ourselves at this very moment, being a, having a human body, a conscious human form. So there's this sense of separation, uh, being conscious in a form gives the, gives the impression of separation. So when I start thinking and operating from sense, sense perception, you know, I see you as separate from me. So, because I'm sitting here and you're sitting there. So that's the, uh, you know, the result of birth. In a, in a, you know, so birth is a, is a beginning of a of a form, an entity. Now, the, the awakened state is. Uh, our ability to reflect, to observe this, this sense of separation is, is um, on one level, it's conventional way of thinking, seeing myself as a person, as identifying with, with the form itself, with the appearance, with the, uh, with the memories, with the objects that I call mine, with my things, my life, my opinions, my views about everything. And then reflecting on this, you're, you're moving out of the opinion-formed, conditioned realm to the unconditioned of awareness, where you're, you're aware of the conditions. So this is this is the perspective that that mindfulness uh, gives us. It's the the gate to the deathless, the the door, the escape hatch out of the illusions of oneself being, becoming, being a body, being a person, being a thing. So the deathless then is not is is a fact, you know. And the more you 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 know, it's not some it's not an abstract idea or some kind of metaphysical theory, as it might seem. So that's where this this. Um, Investigation, and then vipassana, this term vipassana is insight, looking into the way things are, being the, the knower, the observer, <coughs> not the person trying to attain and achieve anything. And that, that's where it's... Uh, you know, encouraging you to really investigate this, this compulsion, this 
to, to try to attain and achieve or do things, you know, to you, what, what we start meditation, why we meditate, because we, we have some expectation of attaining something. And that's the way the, the mind is conditioned. You know, the thinking mind is all about, uh, you know, control, choosing, taking sides, good against evil, right against wrong. It's choices of, you know, preferences, discriminate, discriminations. It's critical. We criticize, we can see uh, uh, or hear, smell, taste, touch, and we like and we don't like. We approve and we don't approve of various conditions that we're experiencing. So then the awareness of this, this dualism, this attachment, is a, like the, the first noble truth, is, is awakening to <coughs> the unhappiness, the dissatisfaction we create by this endless trying to control and choose and prefer and get rid of the bad things and hold on to the good things. That's where an awareness, jitanupasana, the third uh, foundation of mindfulness, is the ability to just observe that kind of uh, feeling, uh, the mood, the, the mental state that one is experiencing here and now. So if you're feeling sad, you or happy, or confused, or clear. What is it that is aware of that? What, I, what, what is aware of the mood you're in? You can feel contracted, expanded, elated, depressed, skeptical, doubtful, resentful. We can be aware of, of a compulsiveness, a feeling I've got to get something I don't have. There's a kind of fear when, when you really recognize that the, the profundity of here and now, because emotionally we're not prepared for that. We're, we're prepared for achieving and attaining. We'd like to get into some situation where we we can feel we're getting somewhere, we're attaining something, we're getting better. You know, where you can mark the improvement. Last year I could, I was at this stage and then over the uh, winter's retreat, I, I practiced really hard on the winter's retreat and I attained the second stage and now I'm on the third stage, hoping to pass the third stage during this vasa here at Amravati. So by the next winter's retreat, I can challenge the fourth stage. <laughs> now this is, this is how we think, isn't it? We love uh, things like that, you know, because we can understand, you know, getting a diploma, a certificate, a bachelor's degree, a PhD, a 
signs of, of you know, given to us that we, we deserve because of hard work and, and achievement and attainment. So when we approach Buddhist meditation with that, with that mindset, with that frame, that, that is the, you know, what we, we believe in, what we relate to, what we can understand, because that's how the thinking mind is conditioned for that. But it's then the, when we bring in awareness, we're aware of this, tension we create by this, this desire to achieve and attain. And the feelings of despair, uh, disillusionment, when we feel we're not getting anywhere, when we're not getting what, you know, we're not getting the results we expect. We don't get the acclaim or the certificate, we don't get the diploma that we should have for because we've, we've worked so hard and been so committed and serious about it all. So in, with awareness then, where we can, this awareness is like a floodlight. It actually, you know, it's not spotlighting anything. It's not just focusing on one thing, but it's like a big floodlight that lights up the whole panorama of conscious experience from this position. And then being this awareness, then we can observe the, this state of disillusionment or doubt or despair, boredom, uh, disappointment that come, inevitably comes uh, with, through meditation. You know, one can uh, have a sense of achievement through controlling, you know, gaining states of concentration, uh, hermetic practices, fasting, doing uh, ascetic practices, uh, not speaking, um, living in a place where you have no duties other than practice, where there's nothing demanded of you, and where you can, you can just... Uh, whether you're not getting any harsh, coarse impingement on your senses. So this is a, you know, seeking a refined experience, a tranquility that comes through lack of, of coarse impingement. So like coarse impingement is, you know, like having exciting things Things that that upset or distress or disturb or or demand or whatever that that we can experience through our senses, through our minds, and and when we remove ourselves from these sources and go to a nice quiet place, a sensory deprivation tank maybe or a dark cave. Have it all set up so people bring bring us food every day, and we don't have to even thank them for it. They just leave it there and don't distress us in any way. Don't tell us about what's happening in the world, and we just, after a while, as you calm down, you 
he become very tranquil and very blissful. But then as soon as uh, anything harsh happens, you get very upset. So the Buddha was aiming not for uh, controlling things to, so that our experience of life would be refined, but preparing us for the realities of this realm of samsara in all its aspects. It's not a matter of, of judging it and, and trying to control it or create perfect conditions, but understand, recognize the very nature of conditioning. So this is what vipassana is aim is, is get to know a condition as a condition, whether it's refined condition or a course when the is not the point, because that's into the thinking mind again, the judging mind. The judging mind is, is one that says this is this is refined, this is coarse, this is beautiful, and this is ugly. This is good. And this is bad. So, so, no, this is what we call dualistic thinking. You know, the thinking process is dualistic. Its very nature is is like that. You know, there's we have one condition and it's opposite. You have day and night, male and female, good and bad, right and wrong. Then we get into, you know, in the Dharma, words of Dharma, the conditioned and the unconditioned. You can imagine any condition, can't you? You can fantasize a condition. You can create a condition that doesn't actually exist in any form other than in your mind. Fantasy, you know, we, uh, special effects. Uh, we can imagine... Uh, a devada, because a devada, kind of ethereal being, a being uh, that is so refined, is doesn't have a coarse body, never has to defecate or urinate. Devas don't have that problem. Imagine a devada defecating, it's just revolting, isn't it? They're made of ether. And ether is refined. And I can imagine Devadas, <coughs> beautiful uh, celestial beings. So I can refine my perceptions, you know, into realms of, you know, get, can, can go into finer and finer perceptions. Or, of course, you know, the the fear of hell, isn't it? Is uh, hell is is where everything is painful, ugly, horrible, frightening, all these negative states. So one can create a hell realm too, you know, and in, because hell is a form state, the condition. And heaven and the deva realms are conditions. So these, uh, you know, we we can we're, we're, we know this. We know what we we're accustomed. We're used to conditioning. 
we see ourselves in this conditioned way. Your personality is a condition you create. Your cultural conditioning, how you're programmed by the family, the, the ethnic group, the country, the identities, the class, race, gender, all these things are conditions. So the, the condition then is, is we're in Vipassana, we're, we're noting all conditions are impermanent, which is a way of observing. It's not, it's not a judgment. It's not saying there's something inferior or wrong with impermanent. We're not condemning and, and saying we've got to get rid of, annihilate all the conditions. Now that would be uh, annihilationism. So it's not a matter of preferring one condition or the other, but recognizing, realizing conditions as just that. Their nature is anicca, impermanent. And that which is aware, when we're, when we're developing awareness, when we recognize and cultivate awareness, that awareness, we don't create it. It's not a condition that I am creating. I don't create awareness. I recognize it. It's a natural state. It's not, not something that that, uh, you know, I, on a condition level, we have a word for it. We call it sati, sampachanya, these kind of words. But they're meant more as directional signs rather than definitions. They remind us because we, we're, we're so easily overwhelmed, taken over by the conditioning, by our emotions, by our thoughts, memories, the way our bodies are, you know, we, we react, we react to the pain or the discomfort or the heaviness or the fatigue or the hunger or whatever that, that we're experiencing through the body. So then like t turning on the floodlight so we can see, we can actually see uh, if we don't have that, then we, we, we're just caught in, in, this, in our habits. We have no way out of the samsara. We're just a helplessly, helplessly bound into it, enslaved in it. So in the uh, scripture, in the Udana, there's this the Buddha says, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unoriginated. Ati bhikkhuwe ajatang aputang akatang asankadang. So, this is, there, there, there is this uh, form of ati, ati bhikkhuwe, because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unoriginated. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you form an image of the unborn, unconditioned? 
Does it have it? What does it look like? The Devada or a kind of gas cloud? <laughs> you gotta, it's, the mind goes quite blank, doesn't it? You can, you can try to get a definition of it from a scholar or an academic because uh, we can live in abstract thoughts and ideas too. So we, we can create ideas about the unconditioned and, and, and collect a lot of definitions So when you think about the unconditioned, you, you, you never recognize it. You're merely uh, creating conditions about it. It gets complicated. It sounds remote. It sounds far away. It sounds impossible because all we know is the, is the conditions. And we're thinking about the unconditioned. And thinking itself is conditioned. The thought process is a conditioning. You know, it's about good and bad and, and the conditioned and the unconditioned. So these words themselves are not meant to be grasped as some kind of ideals or beliefs. We're not to believe in the unconditioned And just accept it. There is the unconditioned. So all Buddhists have to believe in the unconditioned. That's not, if you're going to believe in something, believe in God or something that at least is a little more, you know, positive. The unconditioned leaves, leaves you blank. That doesn't inspire. What does what Arjuna mean? He believes in the unconditioned. What is that? Oh, that sounds really, uh, you know, negative in a way. Unconditioned, you know, where I believe in uh, in God, who's all loving and kind and like a good father, you know, the perfect father that that cares and looks after. Now that's that's inspiring, isn't it? These kind of we. The, the conditioning, we will want to be loved and, and uh, guided and protected by a wise and beautiful force like God or a guardian angel, a spirit in the universe, Kuan Yin, something that is beautiful and, and uh, we can, that has positive qualities that make us feel safe. But when it becomes the unconditioned, then the mind goes blank. Now I'm, I'm just watching my own mind, because the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed. Now that's, that's uh, those are words, and they're negations, aren't they? So the Buddha used negation in terms of concepts, aputang, akatang, ajatang, is the negation of the 
condition, the created, the born, the originate. So that negating something means that we, we let go of the, you know, the aim of this, of this style is letting go, seeing the, recognizing the suffering caused through attachment, letting go of the conditions is not an act of annihilation or a rejection or a judgment against them. It's recognizing the suffering that comes from attachment to them, of blind, ignorant attachment. So you, and this, you, you know, you're looking inward now at, at the way that you attach to things, your opinions, your memories, your identities, your loves and hates preferences, views, and opinions. And then, the, then in this quote, because there is the unborn, unconditioned, uncreated, unformed. There is the escape from the created, the condition, the originated, the form. There is the escape, there is a way out. And that way out of these, of the created, the condition, the form, is with awareness. Sati Sampatanya, Sati Panya. So this is a very clear statement. This is this is a very brilliant statement actually when you when you contemplate it. Now I've used this from the very beginning. This reflection on the unconditioned there is the unborn, uncreated. Because to me, this, this, this inspired me, actually, because I'd lost the kind of faith that I had as a Christian in God. I couldn't, the, the God that was presented to me in my Christian background, thus brought up in a very devout Christian family. So this God didn't make any sense as I you know, I started thinking about it. It seemed ridiculous. So I rejected it, the whole idea of God, when I was adolescent. <laughs> and yet, just the con running around in the conditioned realm, just trying to, to sort out the conditioned realm, trying to find my place in the society and really be me and, and uh, the freedom, you know, I can do what I want, I'm an independent person, I'm going to live my life for myself, get all I can from it, uh, enjoy it, live, love, laugh, be happy. When I was young, it was all like experimentation was, was the in word in Berkeley, California, you see experiment, experience, experience life, you know, that sounded very in, 
exciting when you're young to, to just have all kinds of experiences. And there's no holes barred anymore, like Christianity put kind of moral barriers in your life. But, but the, the bohemian life in Berkeley was, <coughs> you didn't have any moral barriers to bother with either. I mean, it all sounded terribly kind of exciting. And to just indulge, do what you like, no, no kind of, uh, you know, nobody watching you, no God judging you, just experience. So on one level, it, it sounded uh, incredibly attractive and exciting, a sense of freedom, no longer you know, living with your parents who judge and control things. But then just seeking life on that level was, was empty. You know, it didn't take long to figure out that that was, uh, you know, uh, just created more confusion. Trying to figure out who I am as a person, where I belong, how I should live, where the, what about behavior? What is my responsibility? Is that, am I just here to, to uh, eat and procreate and sleep? Am I just some kind of animal that's that just here to procreate the species? Or is there something more to it? One could settle for such uh, ideas, but it, something in me also wasn't satisfied with just being an animal, just being another creature that's here to procreate the species, eat and sleep. What is it that, that why, can't I, why couldn't I be just content with that? Because there's this sense of this unnameable sense of aspiration or recognition of something beyond this. And this is what we call the, you know, the spiritual awakening, where we, we, we kind of recognize something we, which we can't describe, but an, an, an aspiration or a spiritual longing or words of this, Type, convey this, this sense of what, what's more, what is the meaning of life, what's the point of it? Why can't I be just satisfied with, <coughs> with just the conditioned realm? If I could get lots of money and, and have everything, you know, buy all nice kind of beautiful objects and control and choose, choose my friends and entertain myself, please myself with the pleasant, the beautiful, the good. And yet, even with that possibility, there's something meaningless in it. In that it, it does not inspire, does not make one really uh, happy or contented. So this, this spiritual longing is part of our human condition, isn't it? We're, there's something in us as human beings, as this species of creature on this planet that is not going to be content 
with just eating, procreating, and sleeping. So these are the conditioned realm. It's an eating, uh, is a condition the body needs to eat. There's nothing wrong with it. Eating is a necessity. Sleeping is a necessity. We have the uh, sexual energy. These bodies are sexual forms. So they have the, the, the sexual drive to procreate. But just living for sexual pleasure becomes meaningless, empty, disappointing. Just to seek pleasure, sexual excitement through, through endlessly stimulating uh, the senses and the body. And just trying to eat, you know, be a glutton or, or sleep your life away. These things are in themselves, they are what they are, but in terms of the purpose of our life is just to, to be born and eat food. Even though some people probably, that, that's all they care about, is like gourmets, and uh, maybe that's good enough for them. But for me, that <laughs> never cared enough about food to dedicate myself to that or sexual excitement, sexual delight, or any kind of sensual delight, even though I found them delightful. It isn't that, that I have never enjoyed those things, but they don't lead to contentment, to peace, to understanding, to freedom from fear. So then the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, what is that? And so this is that they stop the mind. Now notice that when you even think the word unconditioned, the thinking process stops because you can't, you, you, how, what can you think about it? You can deny it, they all, it's just some kind of metaphysical, Buddhist metaphysics. Yeah. Or you can't recognize the unconditioned until you, you've attained the arupa jhanas. Until you've attained nibbana. Uh, it's a very difficult and refined state, you know, that you, you, someone like you, you know, with your greed for food or your lust or your resentments, your critical mind, you can never hope to get anywhere until you conquer all these defilements. Purify yourself. So you get the heavy line, you know, the, you've got to purify yourself first before you can realize, recognize the unconditioned. Now, when, when I talk like this, how does that affect you? You're impure and you've got to purify yourself. Now, those kind of words, what are that just reinforces the sense, the reality, the, the, the illusion that you are a self, isn't it? That you are somebody who's impure. And that's the ego again, and that's thought. Impurity is a condition. It's a concept. 
the word. So when we see ourselves as impure, or to see myself as pure is another delusion. You know, nothing wrong, I'm perfectly pure. Squeaky clean, white as snow. But that's still reinforcing the self, isn't it? That I, this person, is uh, nothing wrong with me. Not like you. I see all kinds of defilements. <laughs> and so we get into the, the judging realm again, the thinking realm. I have to say, you're separate from me. I see, now, like, you get, uh, you get angry. I've seen you overeat. I've seen you, uh, you sleep too much and you, I see, you know, you're, you're bothered with lust. You have all these impurities that you have to conquer in order to become pure. And you'll never realize the unconditioned until you've attained purity. So this is just an example of how the thinking process works and how the reinforcement of the self, the self-view, this illusion of a self, of a kind of ongoing permanent separate self. So then the awareness, now the, the Buddha said awareness, or apamado, apamado is uh, heedfulness, being attentive, paying attention, being present. Apamado amatapadang in this verse is the way to, or the path to the deathless. So awareness, then, isn't something that you create through denial or through asceticism or, or dependent on, on having a pure heart, a pure personality, a, a squeaky clean record. But it is natural state that, that you know, is with us all the time we don't recognize. If we were never mindful, we'd be, we would have died at birth. You know, we couldn't survive without mindfulness, really. Without sati. And it's necessary for survival, just physical survival. So it's not something, it's not something refined and special. It's not high up there, beyond your reach. It's just not recognized, not noticed because our attention is always absorbed into the sense of ourself as a body, as a person. And so we, we're obsessed with ourselves, with my personality, my problems, my past, my future, my opinions, my body. And all this is, is, is what we obsess our minds with, our real world. So then awakening and the awakened attention is putting all the conditions in its proper perspective. So awakening is a recognition of the unconditioned, this. 
It's a fact. It's real. It's not an abstract, refined state. There is the unborn, the unconditioned. If there was not the unborn, unconditioned, there would be no escape from the born and the conditioned. But because there is the unborn, unconditioned, there is an escape from the born and the conditioned. And this is the paraphrasing that teaching in the Udana. So there is a way out, and the, this way out then is with this the Buddha's emphasis on sati sampachanya, sati panya. So in the Four Noble Truths, this teaching here, the Third Noble Truth is, is the realization of what they call cessation. The reality of cessation, when, when a condition ceases. Now in the ignorant human being, they never notice cessation. It's all about arising about you know when when things get boring or despairing or negative in our lives we we tend to seek something to be born into again you know how long can you stay interested in something you know you you're interested in in something some hobby or some something you're doing you're interested but can you sustain that interest Interest, and then it reaches a, reaches a peak, and then you lose interest. And then we get bored, or we, we go off to something else that, that uh, distracts us or interests us, because we don't know how to bear boredom, disillusionment, and despair. We have no way to deal with that. We take Valium, or drugs, or antidepressants or various kind of things that, that help snap us out, make us feel better, you know. But it's a, it's a, the, the, the delusion is still there. You're not uprooting the delusion. So in uh, Vipassana, we're, we're putting ourselves in that position a weakened attention to the condition so that we can actually bear the, the way things are, you know, the, the way the conditioned phenomena operates, how we experience it. It's arising, it's cessation. And cessation then is the unconditioned. It's not annihilation. The conditions arise and cease. But the unconditioned is the amatadhamma, deathless reality. It's real, it's real, it's, it's, you can know it. You can't observe it as, a, as an object, but you can recognize it. And that's what, the, when we have the insight into the third noble truth, uh, Naroda, recognizing what is arisen ceases.
And then from this insight into the deathless or the unconditioned, we, we know the path, the right understanding or right view, right intention, the samaditi, samasangapo, the fourth noble truth, the path or the bhavana. Bhavana, and this is cultivating this. This is what we're here for, cultivating this awareness. It's not cultivating, doesn't mean creating it, making ourselves into some something we think is aware, but recognizing and <laughs> developing it, like in daily life here at Amravati. Using everything that happens to you for awareness, like praise and blame, success, failure, whatever happens, the, you know, good or bad, right or wrong, fair or unfair, desired or undesired, just or unjust, we use, we're, we're cultivating, we're, we're, uh, we're cultivating, it's bhavana, it's, this is what meditation is, this is where meditation really begins, is on the fourth noble truth. Bhavana. Now in the Bhavana, then they say the monastic form is very useful because it creates conditions that are, you know, it put boundaries on behavior and, and it's a form, it's a convention. So it's like a, a vehicle, it gives us a way of living as a human individual that is not uh, causing, uh, creating a lot of heavy comic repercussions. Alms, mendicancy, uh, brahmacharya, celibacy, things like this. These are moving away from heavy, heavy karma, the things that tend to to rebound and and uh, create a lot of distress in our lives when we if we you know if we uh, kind of right action right uh, profession right livelihood right speech and so it's a it's a convention designed to, to help, to help this bhavana, cultivating this awareness in the life, um, in daily life, not just on special meditation retreats, you know, I recommend it both on special meditation retreats and in daily life. Because uh, this, this insight then is isn't dependent on special retreats. Because we're not expecting tranquility and fairness and happiness from this life. We're not demanding that, that ordaining as a monk or nun brings us uh, kind of bliss and happiness and, and, and all that, you know, we would get us out of the rat race and we can still create enormous anguish and despair in a monastery, even in the very best monastery, 
you can create hell in it, in your mind. So it's not meant to be a, a kind of conditioning process that we're involved in. We're not trying to recondition ourselves into Buddhist monks and nuns and, uh, you know, ha- identify with the Buddhist conventions and define ourselves accordingly. It's for bhavana, for awareness, cultivating, developing awareness and recognizing it. it, it because we don't create it, we recognize it. But then the, the habit tendencies are so strong. Like when I first recognized this, had this insight, my emotional reaction was, I can't do it. Emotionally, you know, I, I just couldn't see myself being aware all the time. I just saw myself always, you know, the, the emotional habits were, were not, my emotions weren't prepared for that insight. It wasn't what I expected. You know, when I first started meditating, I just wanted to be blissful. I wanted to attain jhanas and go into tranquil states and get out of the whole realm of suffering by uh, suppressing the world and the coarseness and the fear and the negativity in it by, uh, you know, creating conditions, controlling a situation where all I'm experiencing is this lovely, tranquil, blissful state which I managed to achieve sometimes. Which I like very much. It's very beautiful and likable. And one wants it. One creates desire, longing for these blissful states that you remember having if you've had them. But in the, but then life itself is like this, isn't it? It's about eating and sleeping and feeling pain and relating to others, having being praised, being admired, being appreciated, being criticized, being blamed, being despised, about being treated justly and fairly and being treated unfairly about injustice and disappointment, loss. Is that this is all a part of a human experience. You know, you can create an idea of a utopian society where everything is just and fair and everybody is good and responsible, doing what they should. A monastery where all the monks and nuns are, you know, just wonderful, saintly people everybody practicing diligently, dedicated to the holy life, never waver, never want to disrobe, always willing to pitch in and perform their duties, getting along with each other, supporting each other, nurturing each other, sharing our lives with each other, being our good friends to each other, understanding and being sensitive to each other all the time. This is an ideal, isn't it? This is what we would like. 
This is how it should be. But should be is not the way it is, is it? The, an ideal is how everything should be. But the reality of this moment is like this. You know, it's not maybe what I want, but it is what it is. It's what I'm getting. <laughs> so then my relationship to it is knowing, awareness of it. The Buddha, Bhutto, the knowing of the Dhamma, the way it is. The way it is isn't the way it should be, but it is like this. Conditions arise and cease. The best conditions. Utopian ideals. The shoulds and shouldn'ts. And all this arise and cease in consciousness. So we're recognizing this, realizing the nature of conditioned phenomena from the unconditioned reality. Now you can't get behind the unconditioned. You can't, you know, observe it as something. It's not a thing. It's not even a state. You have to go into using the technique of the Buddha calling it a non-state. Can you imagine a non-state? I can't. You know, they keep wanting to call it a state because even the word state, you know, get, uh, you know on the thinking level, it, it, it seems like a state even. Awareness seems like a state, but it's not. It's a non-state. So uh, this, this, this use of, of negation is not a, a denial, but a, a recognition. And so this is uh, awakening human individuals out of the delusion that we bind ourselves to, to reality, to the real. As Morpheus said in the Matrix, Welcome to the desert of the real. <laughs> because the real isn't what you're expecting, I'll tell you. You know, what we expect, what we want. Maybe we really, you know, ask yourself, do you really, what do you really want? You know, I'd like to be happy and feel safe and secure and uh, appreciated and um, and you know, be uh, with good friends that appreciate and love me and, and now that I'm 72 will still need me and feed me. But the reality, reality, then isn't, isn't 
demanding in any way. It's recognizing and trusting. So, so putting, say, in cultivating this in pavana, you know, determined to to bhavana, to really cultivate in whatever's happening to you, whatever state of mind you're in, whether you're you think you're being treated fairly or unfairly, or you're loved or despised or whatever. Not the, those are not important. Those are conditions, but they're not obstructions to the path. The world and, and uh, conditions change accordingly, so we have how much control, you know, to just make them what we, we approve and, and want, because they happen, they change. And they, we have, you know, they always go from birth to death, from beginning to ending. They don't, nothing gets better and better, better and better, better and better, better and better, forever. No condition can do that. It's like your inhalation. You can only inhale so far and then you have to exhale. So that's the pattern of conditioned phenomena. Arising, ceasing. And, and that's the way it is. It, it conditions, all conditions are impermanent. Anatta, not self. You, when you observe conditioned phenomena, rather than become the conditions, you, you don't find anything in it. It's empty. There's nothing in them other than they are what they are in the present, but you can't keep them or petrify them so that they, they remain the same forever. Unless you want to live with marble statues or create delusions of surrounding yourself with, with uh, beautiful marble figures that seem to have, be more permanent than real human beings. At least they don't get old, they don't age so quickly, even though Venus de Milo doesn't have any arms anymore. <laughs> I imagine when, when they first sculpted Venus de Milo, she had arms. But she doesn't. So even Venus de Milo can be disappointing. Now this, uh, I talk like this because uh, this, too, this is an encouragement because so much of 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 way people are approaching meditation is is based on delusion and uh, and I've seen over the years people who never break through the basic delusion they never get the point. And, uh, you know, you, you wonder why, why can't they see? And the, because within the tradition itself, it supports a lot of delusion. Not the tradition, it's not deluded, but the way people hold the tradition and use the tradition, it's full of opinions. 
Theravada Buddhism, there's so many opinionated Theravadan Buddhists that have opinions about what is orthodox and what is what the Buddha really taught and so forth. So, and then on a, on a personal level, we can be very impressed by, by people who are authorities, scholars, know-it-alls, people who have strong views, who can quote the scriptures and so forth. So then you, you, know, you, you never are really awakened to this. You, you get thrown about by what this teacher says or that teacher says or how you interpret the scripture. But what I'm, uh, what I'm encouraging is not to believe me, or, you know, I'm not trying to make you agree and go along with, with me, but the whole point of this reflection is encouraging awakening. Uh, you know, have to trust in your, uh, that, that, that this is a natural state, it's your, your heritage, being born as a human being, gives you this right. You know, this is, uh, this is the, the great gift we have in this human realm. And then the Buddha's teaching is not for grasping, not for believing. It's a helpful tool. It's an expedient means to, ex to explore and investigate experience so that we can free ourselves from uh, our delusions, our conditioned perceptions. 